It's the Theonauts, episode 179. The one where I believe in pacifism so much that I'll fight you for it. The Theonauts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's word. Hello, all you Theo Knotheads out there. I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. And together we are the, the Theo Knots. Hey, we did that good even from, uh, from, you know, from being away from each other. Yeah, even remote. Yeah, that's remote. That's what that's called. Yeah. So this is the... passivism, remotivism. Yeah. I don't know. Is this the second one? This is the second one we've done like this, right? This second one, five months. <laughs> <laughs> Hang in there. Hang We're tight. We're on a roll. <laughs> at this rate we'll do like five a year maybe four a year i don't know we'll see yeah to Goodness. all you uh patrons out there we are indeed truly sorry uh yeah at least you only pay for what you get right you don't that's right it's yeah. not a monthly thing so i would feel like super guilty if y'all were paying us money and we just weren't producing anything <laughs> yeah oh my goodness i still feel guilty it's it's crazy, you know, how fast it goes. I was I was sitting in uh let's see, the service last week and I, I started doing the math. I'm like, oh my goodness, it's almost five months since we've left. Yeah. Can you believe that? Wow. That's insane. Time flies, dude. It does. It does. It's almost half a year. It's crazy. So oh well. We're still trying to work out our remote connectivity bugs and all that good stuff. I currently have an That's- iPad a computer and my phone all synced up working at the same time to try and make this happen for you. Not to mention <laughs> the soundboard and, you know, all the goodies there. That's right. So, uh, you know, just so you know, it's not, it's not easy doing this remote stuff, but we, uh, we're excited to do it. And man, David, I've missed you so much. How you been doing, Me brother? Too, man, like crazy. Oh, where do I begin? Oh, man. There's so much that has gone on since the last time we did one of these. So, um, let's see. I'm doing a Bible study at the 903 uh, Brewery in Sherman. Nice. I'm going to start that tomorrow night, a three-week series, which is uh, kind of a cool little thing they got going on there. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, Jesus in the Old Testament and... So types and shadows or pictures in the Old Testament, yeah. stuff that we've done before on Theonauts? Yeah. So I'm just kind of struggling Pretty at this cool. point to try and figure out how to make it an interactive study because the people there are kind of new Christians or not Christians. So um, it's uh, it's a little bit of a challenge to sure. present things that, um, you know, and not make it a sermon. You know, I want it to be something that, that they can participate in. So, right. Um, you don't want to preach to him. Yeah. And then, and then, um, let's see, man, I started this really awesome workout plan that I've consistently been on now for 45, no, 50 days or so. 
my so goodness. It's a 90 day um, plan. And so I've, yeah. been, I've been on it pretty consistently. So um, it's been crazy. Are you seeing results? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's, it's more of a um, trimming and some, a little bit of like lean muscle build. It's not like bulking up, but it's just sure. you know, kind of as, as a 50 year old or almost 50 year old man, <laughs> you know, I'm not interested <laughs> in looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger anymore. <laughs> I just want right. to, you know, feel younger. I, I, you know, watch things so I don't go downhill. <laughs> Sure, absolutely. I totally understand that. Yeah, so it's going good, man. It's like, um, it's not a horribly restrictive diet. It's just kind of a smart diet. Awesome. And um, and then it's, you know, in the gym every day. Well, all but one. All, all but one day over the week. So. Wow. But anyway, how's things going up there at the village? Uh, fast and Furious. We just hired a new student minister, or a new children's minister, Kenny Kelly, which is kind of cool. Because he actually was a uh, um, a pastor in Kansas with right beside my dad in Wellington, the town where I was born. Mm. So it's kind of cool. Uh, he's a great guy. He had he worked for the Salvation Army for quite uh, a number of years as kind of their coordinator, and he did this thing where basically he went out and delivered meals to homeless people just out on the street all the time, and so. He and I kind of like, we fit together. We have a good connection together. It's, cool. it's been pretty neat Need to work with them. And we had trunk or treat last night and had a whole slew of kids come out and fed them candy. And and uh, so it's been good. It's been crazy fast. Awesome. I'm, uh, I'm about ready ready to take my first break and come down for extended stay to Texas, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, what time are you, are you when are you coming down again? <clears throat> Uh, the week after next, the weekend after this coming weekend, I think. Ah, cool. So, yeah. Sounds Should be fun. awesome, dude. Can't wait to see you down here again. We'll have to make sure and record yeah. another live one together. Absolutely. That'd be fun. So. Oh, so, hey, that makes three then because we did record a live one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we did three. Three in, the, in five yeah. months. Yeah. Hey, that's better than two in five <laughs> months. <Yeah. laughs> All right, you ready to get into this topic, dude? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. All right, so, David. Yes. I uh, I began this journey, and I figured we'd do it as a, um, a series on Theonauts. When I first got here, you know, I came back out of the non, uh, what is it? What's it called? Non, uh, what's our church is non-denominational, right? That's correct. I came back out of the non-denominational church and now I'm back into a Southern Baptist church. And so, um, looking at my history and I've always studied the reformation from basically the Lutheran side, right. Or the Presbyterian side. Right. And I've, I've never really looked at well, I, I know that Baptists, and I've always said, you know, Baptists come out of the Reformation. Absolutely. Every denomination other than Catholicism. Oh, I've heard it argued that they came from John the Baptist. That's all <laughs> right. Like absolutely. Of course, of course, I've heard the Church of Christ has argued that they came from John the Baptist, too. So. <laughs> oh, no. We came from Jesus Christ. Jesus. That's right. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, anyways, it's very interesting there. But, uh. So I really, um, 
when I came here, my pastor said, you know, you really ought to research the Anabaptists because uh, they, that's really where the, the tradition came from. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, I've always kind of like, I don't know, thrown them off to being weird, wild people. Yeah. Like an offshoot of the Reformation, but not really like traditionalists. And, that, you know, just I, it seemed kind of dirty to me. <laughs> Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. But, I, you know, I didn't like to equate myself with Anabaptists. So I picked up a book. I was at half price. Well, yeah, I didn't even know that the that the current day Baptists uh, are offshoots of Anabaptists, even though the names have a similar thing. I, I didn't know that it was... Uh, even the part of the same movement. Right. Well, actually, a lot of our traditions and stuff began with the Anabaptists. <clears throat> and I picked up a book. I was at sec- uh, Half Price Books. I was talking to you that night. Yeah. And I ended up picking up a book called The Anabaptist Story. This is it right here. Yeah. So The, the Anabaptist Story, and it's by a guy by the name of William R. Estrep. And he's actually, he was a Southern, I think he worked for Southeastern or Southwestern Theological Seminary. You can look him up but as a church historian, but he, man, I, I read the, like the first chapter and just was blown away, mm. but by the history in a, in a different perspective of the reformation that I'd never really studied before because I'd kind of blown it off. Right. And so I've been like falling in love with these characters from our church history. And I figured it'd be cool to, do a series on the Anabaptists and the the uh, I guess the Switzerland uh, Reformation that went on, right? Right. So <laughs> that's basically what we're going to study. But cool. Well, you know, here's basically I know very little about these guys, so okay. I'm going to kind of lean on on your research there. They're um, sure. Here's kind of what I know about them in a nutshell, besides the stuff that you've told me. The, okay. Um, basically, I heard, and this may be completely wrong, but I'd heard that uh, the main thing was they disagreed with um, the Presby's and whatnot on the issue of pedal baptism, and so that was like the main reason why, like the name is was like a derogatory thing, right, to begin with. Like it was, it was given right. to them for uh, doesn't mean. Uh, against baptism Re- or something? Rebaptizers. Rebaptizers. Yeah. So yeah. it was like, oh, so our child, uh, our child's baptism isn't good enough. So you're going to rebaptize him as an adult or whatever. So uh, that's that's basically all I know <laughs> about the the Anabaptist movement. Yeah, and what's amazing is that I mean that's pretty much what most people who study the Reformation and, and you're no slouch in studying the Reformation. You know, we've spent some countless uh, yeah. hours kind of pouring over this stuff. Oh yeah, Zwingli um, is like the the only Anabaptist, or I guess he wasn't even even fully Anabaptist until you just told me like midway through his yeah. Well, whatever you're going to talk about him, so I'm not going to right, go absolutely. over. But but he's he's like the only real character out of this group that I that I uh, knew because he was he's always just one of the names in the early Reformation. Sure, absolutely. So you really can't <clears throat> you can't talk about the Anabaptists without talking about two two characters that that basically were the forerunners of the Anabaptists. And the first one was Erasmus, which I mean Erasmus was the forerunner of the entire Reformation, yeah. right? 
Um, if you know your history, you know that Erasmus was uh, basically... So the Reformation was birthed out of kind of the Renaissance, right? Mm -hmm. And so the thing was is now that we had this newfangled thing called the printing press. So, so to give a little bit of a backstory here, you have the newfangled thing called the printing press. You have people that are starting to love research and starting to uh, <clears throat> enjoy this idea of actually going and, and studying scripture and studying languages and studying also Greek um, tragedies. And, you know, they're really focusing on uh, just scholarly pursuits for the first time before, before the printing press and, uh, and before this time, right around the, you know, the, the late, uh, 1400s, early 1500s, it was basically, I mean, it was serfdom, right? Right. So there, most priests were completely uneducated. They, they weren't really taught Latin all that much. Some of them were just taught how to do the exact mass in Latin, right? Mm -hmm. But but that was it. Most of them had not read the uh, the New Testament or the Old Testament um, unless they had been sent off to actually study. And uh, you had to be pretty rich to do that. And so that was basically how it was lived until really Erasmus and some other uh, Christian humanists, mm -hmm. philosophers came on the scene. Well, and Erasmus was... Go ahead. And I was just going to say, uh, you know, Erasmus is one of them I actually know about because I'm a big student of the translation of the Bible, the sure. transmission of the Bible. And the thing that, that I often hear or I've often found about him is that he was not he was not a um, he was not into movements like he was he was no. not he, he wasn't out to start anything or uh, create any type of yeah. following. He simply wanted to uh, like he's most known for his uh, Greek New Testament compilation which by the way right. which is called Textus Receptus uh, which is the basis of all the ancient English translations starting exactly you know starting with uh, well I say that Wycliffe Wy Wycliffe because he's a contemporary with Wycliffe right um, he is and Tyndale, and uh, and of course, the Luther's the ones uh, well who came German, out. yeah, yeah. And, and Luther's was in German, but Luther, uh, yeah, all, all of everybody used the Texas Receptus, which is right. what Erasmus uh, is most known for uh, yeah. in church history is the compilation of this from right. uh, both the original Greek text and the Vulgate, like he used the Vulgate as a uh, as a source for putting all this together as well. So. Right, exactly. And so because Erasmus did the Texas Receptus, um, he had a lot of fanboys. And Luther actually was a fanboy of Erasmus. Mm -hmm. um, but then when Luther took his stand in 1517, right? Yes. Um, Erasmus was quick to denounce Luther, mm -hmm. right? Because he was, you're exactly right. Although he would make he would make criti critical statements about the papacy right. and he would make, you know, some, <clears throat> some off hand statements about even the mass and the way things were, were done. He, he was never one to, he, he was, he was very strict about, 
upholding the traditions of the ancients right uh and the apostle uh you know the apostles traditions and all this stuff mm-hmm. and so he had he had no dog in the fight in fact erasmus was most famous for being a pacifist yeah i was fixing to say the same thing he what he really disliked about luther's uh protestant movement and this wasn't even luther's fault to be honest no but right but the, those that got on board started uh getting violent and, and there was right. a lot of uprisings and, and that sort of thing that was happening and uh exactly. erasmus was very um outspoken against all that sure absolutely and so that was that was the, exactly the main reason that he didn't he didn't like luther's uh revolt although luther really didn't revolt he was trying to change the church not revolt against it uh but it ended up i mean once luther there was no turning back luther was out heavy dog in the fight of revolting <laughs> and so uh Erasmus did not like that and uh and his big thing was being a pacifist so i only bring him up because we need to focus on Zwingli today and so i wanted to tell the story today of Zwingli we're not even going to get into uh really the uh the anabaptists mans and uh <clears throat> um and, and all the the Conrad Gable, Felix Manns, George Balrock. We're not going to get into them today. I want to I want to save them for another time. In fact, probably I'm thinking this might take three uh, series. Okay. And so we're going to save it for the third the third series. But um, today I want to talk about Zwingli because it all starts with Zwingli. Yeah. So if you're familiar with the timeline of the Reformation. Luther starts his Reformation in 1517 with the uh, October 31st, 1517, yeah. right? And coffee was introduced to Germany in 1515. So, caffe- oh, really? Yeah, caffeinated preachers, this is what happens, man. <laughs> That's insane. hilarious. <laughs> I never knew that. I learned something new every day. So now we know the real culprit behind <laughs> the Reformation is coffee. That's great. <laughs> so uh, Zwingli is a is a contemporary of Luther. He was born in 1481 uh, in Switzerland. Okay, uh, he was born to um, uh, farmer um, parents, but they sent him away, and he he got his formal education in Latin and uh, in Greek, and he ended up becoming a priest. Uh, what we need to know about him, though, is that uh, the year before, or the year after the Reformation, almost exactly one year after the Reformation, Zwingli took uh, the position of um, the the priest in <clears throat> Zurich, Switzerland. Zurich's kind of like the um, the center city of Switzerland. Um, if you know anything about Switzerland history, I'm not sure if you know about the historical context of Switzerland, uh, at this time, Switzerland wasn't a nation. Mm-hmm. It, it was a whole bunch of feudal states. They called them cantons. Okay. okay? And uh, if you know the geography of Switzerland, it's kind of important to the story of the Reformation that happened in Switzerland. So Switzerland sits right in between some heated um, land disputes. So you have on the west France, right? 
Yeah. You have on on the east, you have the Habsburg dynasty and the basically Russia, today's Russia, you know what I mean? Yeah. Right over there on the east. And then uh, on the south, you have Rome, the Holy Roman Empire. And during this time, there were a lot of wars going on, basically fighting for lands uh, between the Habsburgs, France, and Rome. And what would happen is, is Swiss, the Switzerland, the people in Switzerland would basically be conscripted or become mercenaries to fight in these wars. They were basically pawns used by either France, Rome, or uh, um, or the Habsburgs. Some things never change, right? Right. Like World, War, World War II, Switzerland was the, the neutral party. <laughs> exactly. And so um, Zwingli grew up basically in the midst of this, watching his fellow Switzerland uh, um, countrymen fight in these mercenary systems. And, you know, and he, he realized that, you know, the only people that were really losing in this war was actually Switzerland. Mm -hmm. And so he, during this time, he started reading Erasmus. And he developed a huge belief in his, his fundamental belief in uh, not going to war, <laughs> period. Okay, right. Okay. Because it, Erasmus, he became a huge fanboy of Erasmus. Started loving his his writing as as a secular or not as a as a Christian humanist philosopher, even more than as a theologian. He was big on that because basically Erasmus took the stance of uh, no uh, no war, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and so he he really uh, it, I I guess it just rang with him. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so he ended up taking that position in December 1518. He took, takes the position in Zurich. Immediately after he does this, he begins doing church totally differently than everybody else around, around him. Now, the Reformation has already started, and it's been heated in Germany, right? right, right. Um, and it's, it's been kind of branching out, and Zwingli has been basically— they. They say that Zwingli started his study in Erasmus, but Luther changed his theology. Does that make sense? Okay. So Zwingli started doing something totally different um, in his services. He started preaching instead of basically in the mass, you would have, you would take the Latin mass, right? Mm -hmm. You would have a reading out of the Latin Bible. Um, and it was the same reading all across yeah. all of Christendom, yeah. right? Yeah. And that was that was pretty much it. So Zwingli got rid of that reading. He exed it. And he started doing what today we call exegetical preaching. Mm -hmm. So he started, whenever he started in, in January of that year, he started preaching through the Gospel of Matthew. Right? So he would read it. And then he would discuss it with his, yeah, uh, with his church. So, he, so technically, he's he's the first non-denominational church. In a lot of ways, I mean, he <laughs> was, it's very interesting. But he started doing. I mean, he's by all accounts that I can see here, 
he's the father of exegetical preaching, mm. which is very interesting because yeah. I don't think anybody else was doing this at this point. Yeah. Even Luther followed in that, that idea of everybody, you know, reading the same material through the mass. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so he's the first one. So he leads them through Matthew and then they go immediately to acts and he leads them through acts. And then they go through the rest of the um, gospels and they go through the epistles and then the old Testament. So he's leading his church exegetically through the Bible, which is totally different than what's happening everywhere else. Right. So as he's doing this, <clears throat> he's developing some beliefs. His, his number one main belief, um, which, which he started hating on was uh, iconoclasm. Yeah. Yeah. So he started seeing that that veneration of, of the icons is, is was idolatry a sin. or whatever idolatry yeah. that's right and he started preaching against that he started preaching against and whenever that that went he started preaching against kind of the mass itself because he viewed the mass as idolatry okay that makes sense so when you do that you have to discuss, well, what is a fundamentally, what is a Christian? How is a Christian saved? He gets his theology from Luther and that. But the biggest thing happens. So uh, when he's doing this, he, he realizes the best way to get his message across is not just have mass and teach this, but to actually have basically preacher boy classes. And so he starts holding these Bible studies apart from the mass which is kind of new too. And these people show up in the midst of them are some followers of his. One of, one of them's names, Conrad Gable or Grable, Felix Mann and George Barrock. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now these guys are very important and we'll get to them later, <laughs> but they were basically Zwingli fanboys. Okay. <laughs> so they started just eating up Zwingli's lessons, like loving what he was teaching and really getting into it. Right. And, and a lot of it was very, very um, just counter what they had been taught all their life. And so, <clears throat> well, I'm so they questioned, sorry, the big thing they questioned the veneration of the saints. Oh, tithing was another one. He started questioning tithing and people were like, what, what do you, you know, what's so big about that? And basically he's like, I don't see a new Testament rule for tithing at all. Uh, and then the mass. Yeah. So what were you saying? Well, I was just kind of glancing over some some notes on him as you're going through all this. And one of the things that jumped out was this little story I was just looking at here um, called the sausage event. Though the, the okay the affair yeah we're about to get there oh because the affair of the sausage that hasn't happened yet okay so I'll, no we're almost there okay I won't stomp on that but I was just like okay. wow I'm impressed by this <laughs> so. One one of the major things that happens during this time, and this is right at the 15, 1520, okay? So between 1520, 1521, right around this time is the start of the building of St. Peter's Basilica. Okay. okay. Yeah. So do you remember Luther's um like argument that caused the 1517? Uh, nailing of the, the well, nine five primarily uh, about uh, indulgences. Indulgences, that was a big deal. And uh, in fact, there was a guy going around, and now I'm 
blanking on his name. With every coin in the copper that rings, another soul from Purgatory Springs. <laughs> right. Oh, what is that guy's name? I can't remember. Anyways, he came to basically he came to Luther's uh, town of Wittenberg and started collecting indulgences for Peter's Basilica. Right. Right. So this was still going on, and by this time, uh, there was a guy by the guy by the name of Bernardin Sanson, and he came collecting money for. Uh, St. Peter's Basilica, and they stopped him at the gates mm. and kicked him out. <laughs> they they <laughs> wouldn't even let him let him come in. And so this was, you know, it was these were distinctive drawing the battle line. So we get to Lent, fifteen twenty two, yeah, and <laughs> this is where Zwingli takes his first major stand. They say, and it's they call it the it's like the nine five thesis in Germany. This yeah. is the, this is their, this is their uh, reformation start point officially. Uh, in Lent of 1522, it's called the event of the sausages or the affair of the sausages. I like that better. The affair, Which, the, it's the <laughs> affair of the sausages. <laughs> Which is one of the best things ever. So well, you need a t-shirt uh, that says that like, right. <laughs> The affair of the sausages. So we all know what Lent is. Uh, for those of you that that don't know, Lent is a time right before Easter where you're supposed to forty days of uh, fasting. Fast, right? There's forty days, and back then it was very strict on exactly what they they would fast from and how they would fast and all this stuff for forty days. And they believed that it was it was a law, and it was a sin not to do Lent. Um, this wasn't something you chose to do. It was something that you were commanded to do if you were a good Catholic, yeah. uh, which, which by the way, church and state at this time are yeah. inter intermingled. Right. Even in Switzerland, church and state are intermingled. In fact, um, uh, Zwingli set on the city council and the city council mandated everything uh, Religious. In, in Zurich. That's right. Yeah. And, yeah, mandated religion and <clears throat> civility, okay, mm. um, which is going to come into play in a little bit. So shortly after Lent begins, Zwingli cooks himself up some sausages, and in a public display with him and a couple of others, he breaks Lent by eating sausage. Yeah. <laughs> he distributes so, two sausages, two smoked sausages true. out. That's right. He from, just from a workshop. distributes them out. Exactly. And so news gets out and people are like, oh, there goes, you know, Zwingli. Exactly. <laughs> so, oh my goodness, which is so funny. So that, <clears throat> that begins the Zurich dis, uh, disputation. I could just, I was like, get your hot dogs. <laughs> hot dogs. I will break the lint with the Wiener Schnitzel. <laughs> there shall be no lint here. No, not in Zurich, not ever. So, anyways, <laughs> I can just see the angry, the angry yeah. mug. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so the bishop over the area um, basically sends out an edict that says that. Um, basically that any if you're not uh if you're not obeying the church you're 
inciting unrest and heresy and, and will punish you. And so Zwingli and the city council in Zurich say, all right, bet, come on down here and uh, we'll have a disputation about this. So the bishop sends delegates down. He's not expecting a huge fight. And, and uh, Zwingli comes like prepared to argue his case. He's not going to be another Luther, right? right. His, his thing is, I'm going to, I'm going to beat these guys with, with, uh, with rhetoric. And so when the, when the, uh, when the delegates come down, they're not expecting to, to have a fight. There was over like 500 people were at this uh, first disputation. The major thing they, they were arguing about, oh, 600, around 600 people. And the ma- the major thing they were arguing about was number one, uh, ecclesiastical authority, uh, which was a big deal. Um, let's see. Uh, and they were, they were arguing about, in other words, ecclesiastical authority versus biblical authority. Where do we get our authority from? Is it scripture or from mandated yeah, bishops, right? The church. And then the other thing <clears throat> that they argued about was um, celibacy. Um, Swingley was arguing, and his people were arguing against celibacy. Um, but part of that was because Zwingli had privately married by this point mm-hmm. and was about to have a baby. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Got to get that so, taken care of. Exactly. Um, it lasted two days, I believe. Is that right? It happened in January 1523. It lasted about two days. And the end of it, basically everybody said they they sided with Zwingli. He became the hero. Hmm. And everybody said, okay. Sausages so, for everybody. Exactly. Sausages for everybody. Uh, <laughs> they, they said um, we should preach the word and let the word be the authority. So according to the city council, according to everybody, now Zwingli has permission to preach the word and let the word be authority. And they basically booted up the bishop and they said, see you later. Forget y'all. We're going to do what we're going to do. So that spurned on some more debates. Um, Now, secretly, behind closed doors, Zwingli is meeting with with his cronies. Okay, Mm -hmm. and he's talking about all the problems within the church. He's not just talking about papal authority. He's not just talking about celibacy. He's talking about the very truth of the mass, which is a huge deal. Right. Okay, because up to this point, the mass was basically how somebody would be define themselves as a Christian, Mm -hmm. be saved. Okay, they believed in transubstantiation, which is the body and the the blood literally present in uh, yeah. communion. Yep, the Eucharist. That's right, the Eucharist. And you have to do mass in the liturgical way with the Eucharist in order to be saved. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Luther argued against that, although he did not believe that uh, that the, he didn't go so far as Zwigli went, which is to say that the mass is or or um the um um the eucharist is a symbol it's symbolic mm-hmm. the body and the blood li- isn't literally in the in the eucharist whereas luther would say no transubstantiation all the way it is 100% yeah in right 
That was one of the, the big uh, conflicts, I think, between Luther and Calvin, too. Right. Calvin believed in subsubstantiation, which is he's a wimp because he didn't want to go all the way like Zwingli. <laughs> but Zwingli was all like, dude, seriously, it's. And so actually Zwingli during this time had uh, conferences with, with Luther and Luther denounced Zwingli because he believed that the mass was simply a symbol. Zwingli's also talking to his cronies, his group, and re remember this includes Conrad Grable, Felix Mann, George Bullrock, okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> In his classes, he's telling them, listen, uh, salvation's by grace through faith, that the, the Eucharist is symbolism, um, and he's even going so far to say that therefore infant baptism mm -hmm shouldn't be a thing okay which which was different than anybody else at that point right all right so people are continuing to argue about this and they end up having a, a second disputation in september of 1523 uh 1523 is a big year for the uh for the reformation in zurich and in switzerland so <clears throat> the mass is the main topic of this one, as well as purgatory is a topic in this one. Um, and also iconoclasm. Those are the mass and iconoclasm are the two major things here. Okay. Yeah. At this one. So Zwingli, like I said, is on the city council, which is important to note. So they start arguing, and this one takes a little bit longer. The bishop sends his delegates there. This one has around 900 people at, at this disputation, and they start discussing these things. During this discussion, Zwingli starts to notice that the city council is not agreeing with him on the mass. Mm -hmm. Okay. And like the sausage Zwingli, is one thing, but, exactly. But now you're taking it just a little too far, Zwingli. Right. We're not. We're not ready to go there with At you. At least yet, the sausage Zwingli. was good to eat. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. So basically, they're saying, "All right, Zwingli, we get what you're saying," and they, and they really they did understand what he was saying. But there were some. So in the city, they were basically like, "Yeah, we agree. We we follow Zwingli." But there were outlying pastors in the country around Zurich. That we're going no, dude. Number one, we're keeping our icon. We're keeping our icons oh. and our our statues. You're not taking those away from us. And number two, we're keeping our mass. Don't mess with our mass because that's pretty much all we know. We're uneducated yeah. pastors, and we have churches out here. Yeah. And that's how we do. That's how we do church. Don't jack with it. Yeah. Right? Well, and a lot of uh, a lot of the um, of the complacency that was happening at this time is they were still doing everything in Latin. And yep. these guys, a lot of them didn't even know Latin. Like they, right. they, they were just simply reading, but they were unable to actually ascertain what it was, the, what the message was. And so, so for them, their faith hinged on simply trusting that the, these magic words saved their soul. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And what they did saved their soul. And tradition and, is powerful. Like, right. especially well, years and years and years and years and years of it. Like, I mean, having yeah. come from a, a very traditional background and it's like, 
Okay, if I go along with this guy, right, I'm gonna lose family. I'm gonna lose friends. Mm-hmm. I could go to jail. I could get killed. I mean, it's just like, it's is it worth it? Like that's kind of what they're all thinking. Ah, I don't know if I can go there with you, you know, because this exactly. is all we've ever known. And if you think about it, which is quicker to change? People in urban areas or people in rural areas? <laughs> yeah. So. You know what I mean? So in a lot of ways, these these people in rural areas, they just weren't about that life. And so Zwingli starts changing his tune in the second disputation. He starts going, okay, wait a second. We're pushing it too far. Obviously, I don't want to, you know, cause war. That's the last thing I want to do. You know, my my hero here is Erasmus, remember? Mm -hmm. And I am a, I'm a, staunch uh <clears throat> i'm a staunch what's the, what's the word i said that opening pacifist. credit not pacifist dang up i'm a staunch pacifist and if this is going to cause war i'm just not about that life and so he starts changing his tune well his students who he has been teaching in private who are younger than him and way more passionate and also learned because they've been studying greek and hebrew and they've been really reading the new testament and seeing what it says they're like hold on dude that's not what you said back there in our bible studies are you what are you going for here are you are you going to stand on the word of god as your authority are you going to let these this city council dissuade you from from making this change right and so really conrad Grable was the guy that stepped up and started arguing with him during the second disputation. It was right around this time, well, it was actually at this disputation when Zingli basically turned in my evidence is Wingley basically turns his back on Grable, turns his back on Mans, and turns his back on Bullrock and all the other ones just so that he saves his hide. Oh wow. Does that make yeah. sense? So he dismisses his students and says, y'all shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. You're going to force problems back off. Right. And let's not rule that the mass has to be changed right now. Okay. Whereas Conrad was going, no, here's what we need to do. We need to rewrite the mass. We need to redo all this stuff. (laughs) We need to make it, we need to make it so that, uh, and not only that, but they bring up infant baptism in this mm, disputation. Mm, yeah. <clears throat> and Zwingli the, the denies, cow. that's right, Zwingli denies immediately that he had ever said that infant baptism was a bad thing. So, and, and Grable and Mans and Bora are going, wait, dude, in the private, you, you know, over there, you're like, yeah, you agree with this. Infant baptism is a problem. Right. So at this point, at this juncture, whenever Zwingli disregards them, Mans and Grable and Balrock stop attending his Bible studies and they start doing their own Bible studies in private. Mm. Okay. So this is in 1523. It wasn't until 1524 they set a deadline. And in the city, they changed mass in 1524. 
So Zwingli was smart and recognizing that people weren't ready for change yet, but he was still pushing for change. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. He just wanted to let off the gas a little bit. So by 16, by 1524, between 24 and 25, they got rid of the mass. And this is really interesting. So Zwingli rewrites how to do church, um, puts the sermon as the main focus. Does that sound familiar? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So this is happening all the way back in 1524, 25. This is why I I got excited because I'm like, wow, that really sounds like the church services we do today. Right. Right. So puts the, the sermon and the reading of God's word as the main focus. He has them sit down at tables to take the Lord's Supper, and they change the name of it to the Lord's Supper. Okay. <laughs> they sit down at tables to do it and teach that it's only uh, symbolism, that it's not literal transubstantiation. And it becomes an almost an afterthought in fact. And this is what blew my mind. Zwingli was the one that recommended that they only do it four times a year. Hmm. So he's really the start of that whole, let's do it quarterly, which I hate, by the way. I'm just <laughs> like, I don't want to do it quarterly. I want to do it every single time because I don't see, you know, I don't see in scripture why you should do it quarterly. But that's just me anyways, whatever. I do it quarterly here. So we're cool. But uh Anyways, um, so during this time, though, uh, Mans and uh, um, Bullrock and Grable are meeting in private. And I love, um, I'm going to read this quote from, uh, from this book, The Anabaptist History. And this is in the chapter of the birth of Anabaptism. <clears throat> It's really interesting because when I read this, my eyes were really open to how much they, they connected um, with me. Uh, so they're <laughs> meeting in quiet, and they're discussing then what church should look like. Because if they, if church attendance is not about infant, infant baptism, right, mm-hmm. or church, church, not church attendance, but church, uh, um, what's it called, membership, membership. is not, about, not through infant baptism, right? If the Lord's Supper or, or the Mass is not what saves you with the Eucharist, then what is what is it what does the church look like? Because the foundations of the church have changed, if that's the case. And this is what they say: this new church, like that of the apostles, was to made, be made up of only those confessing Christ as Lord, followed by believers' baptism, instead of everyone born in a given parish. The Lord's Supper would then be observed by the baptism by the baptized in a simple manner, shorn of its medieval trappings, as a pledge of brotherly love in remembrance of the one all-sufficient sacrifice of Christ. Wow. So these Anabaptists are meeting in secret, are arguing that, that that's what makes up a Christian church. The believers who have been baptized right and share together so um anyways i'm going to continue on a little bit with uh with zwingli i'm going to leave the anabaptists and i'm going to talk a little bit with 
to talk a little bit about Zwingli. So farther on, uh, by 1525. Well, now, does he just completely separate from the Anabaptists at this point? 100%. 100%. Not only that, but he's the first persecutor of the Anabaptists. Oh, wow. By, by 1525, he makes the law that anybody who does not baptize their child is, is illegal, should, be, should leave Zurich. <laughs> wow. So he's the reason that several of these people end up, and then later the law is if you Bab or you you if you baptize in believers baptism, the punishment is death by drowning. <laughs> nice. So we'll we'll get to that. Uh, basically, Zwingli starts hating on these guys seriously because he feels like they're dragging his name through the mud because they were Zwingli fanboys. Right. And when they realized that Zwingli was lying about what he believed about infant baptism. Mm -hmm. uh they they started they started meeting in private and basically besmirching his name right mm -hmm. and Zwingli's you know he's the head honcho in Zurich at this point he's the leader of the reformation and he sits on city council so uh um they have a debate in 1725 between him and Grable everybody agrees with Zwingli of course it's it's basically set up so that there's no way that Zwingli's not going to be agreed with by this point because he's pretty much the Pope of Zurich. Mm. And so, so everybody agrees with him. They make it illegal. Start Persecution starts. So I want to continue down, though, because Reformation takes a full hold on um, not just Zurich, but uh, the, the entire... Um, um, Oh my gosh, what's it called? The, the entire canton where, where Zurich's at, okay? Yeah. And so all the cantons, there's like 15, I think there's 15 of them. I'm not sure. I'm looking at, I'm looking it up and I can't remember. It's like 15 or so, or no, there's 13. So all these cantons, they start dividing over whether they're going to be reformed or whether they're going to be Roman Catholic, okay? And so... Basically, it's a civil war in Switzerland. It causes a civil war. Mm -hmm. You have, you have. Imagine it: the northern states and the southern states fighting over slavery. Right. You have, you have some of the cantons who form an alliance and become their own country, quote unquote, forming an alliance with, uh, on one side who are Roman Catholic, and then another group of cantons, forming an alliance on the other side who are, who are, uh, um, Protestant, right? Right. And Zwingli is the leader of these, these Protestant cantons. He ends up becoming the leader. He ends up raising an army of 30,000 people. Now, this is the pacifist, <laughs> wow. right? This is the pacifist. He raises an army of over 30,000 people to go and fight against the cantons that are Roman Catholic. Wow. This is by this is the Capital Wars is what this is called and starts in 1929. So by 1929, Zwingli has divided his entire nation, and he's going to war against <laughs> against the, the, big, the Roman Catholics. Yeah. Wow! Right. So the first time ends in an armistice. Uh, whenever the 
whenever the uh, the other the 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 five states that are against him or the the cantons that are against him see the army, they're like, oh, we give up, right? But then they have a sneak attack, basically. Zwingli ends up, and this is my favorite thing about this. I mean, it's it's really sad, but in the Second Capital War, uh, Zwingli ends up on the battlefield and dies as a soldier. Wow. So the reformer, who is a pacifist and Erasmus fanboy, and by the way, Anabaptists, one of the biggest things that they they end up being known for is pacifists. If you study Anabaptists throughout the history today, people that claim Anabaptists as their, their forefathers, mm-hmm. the closest ones are the Dutch Reformed. You've heard of those guys? No. And the uh, you haven't heard of the Dutch Reformed people? Uh-uh. Oh, you got to study those guys. So the uh, Mennonites, you know Mennonites? Oh, yeah. Yeah, those are those are Anabaptists, and their number one thing they're known for is being pacifists. Yeah, right. So, anyways, but Zwingli ends up dying in the Second Capital War, and uh, what's sad, like the biggest sad thing to me, is uh, like Erasmus, like totally disses him after he dies. So Zwingli's like this fanboy for Erasmus all his life, and this is what he ends up being known for. This is what Erasmus writes about him. We are freed from the great fear by the death of two preachers, Zwingli and this other guy, whose fate has wrought an incredible change in the mind of many. This is the wonderful hand of God on high. Wow. (laughs) So... So he ends up dying five years before Erasmus dies, and Erasmus totally disses him. A very interesting, um, like, turn of events in his relationships, both with Erasmus and his students. Like, yeah. it's, it's just strange. It is, isn't it? It's it's just an, it's an unbelievable story, and and a lot of it hinges on. The fact that he was very wishy-washy, like he was, he would make a stand and then he would back off, and then in private he would say one thing and then he was a different thing, and then by the, I mean, it's just a, uh, Zwingli was the great, uh, the great, the Anabaptist view Zwingli as the great persecutor of of them, right? And you're gonna see why. I mean, it, it's a horrible story how it plays out with Conrad Grab, Grable Mans and and Bullrock, but. During this time, so in jumping back to 1525, right after that that argument, which is where we'll pick up next time, uh, the first believer's baptism mm-hmm. uh, of the Reformation starts with the Anabaptists. And so, anyways, that's uh, I'm gonna leave it. I'm gonna leave it there. <laughs> so, is um, was Zurich in the same canton as Geneva? It might have been because you know no, it's not because you know Geneva's where uh, John Calvin and and John Knox and all right. all those guys um, uh, made their exodus from England. Exactly, to, and, and, and it was and in I the same actually, time frame. It was in this this mid fifteen uh, twenties and a uh, little bit later. I'd have I'd have to look that up. I'm not I'm not sure. Um, one of the things that set um, Zwingli apart from Calvin and Luther and others was, well, 
like I said, he was a big fan of Erasmus, right? And right. Um, Erasmus was a synergist, not a monergist, mm-hmm. which is ancient terms for he was an Arminian, not a Calvinist. Right. Right. So he believed that synergist, uh, meaning that um, God, uh, God, there was there was choice, there free, was free choice. Right. And so Zwingli was actually one of those that kind of held to that. Right. Um, and well, Erasmus was a big uh, free will proponent too. Exactly. Because yeah, Zwingli was because Erasmus was. So. Yeah. Anyways, but yeah, I, I'm not sure if they were of the same canton or not. That'd be something interesting to look back in. But, well, uh, it's just interesting how things developed in the Reformation, like in parallel, but right. with harsh like differences. And yeah. I mean, just like so, the Puritans are um, are they Calvinists? That they're they're like. Their Bi- oh, yeah. their Bible was the Geneva translation, so right. Um, so, but it's the same type of you know, yeah, crazy, uh, a Puritan type <laughs> of stuff, you know. Yeah, that that'd be you know, and I, you know Zurich. Um, I wonder if yes. Oh wait, wait, wait. Who was right after? Um. Who took over right after um, uh, Swiggly? Um, what's his name? Oh my gosh. I have it somewhere. Hold on. There was a. Um, let's see. Death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. John Eck or Johanna Eck. Um, Man, where where is he? Bullinger. Bullinger, yeah. yeah. Bullinger that takes over. And Bullinger Bullinger and uh and Calvin are contemporaries. So yeah, correct. Yeah. Yeah, and they connect together. So really, um Bullinger, you know, carries it on and you know, Presbyterian. The history of Presbyterian, gotcha. you know, the Presbyterians yeah, are, yeah. are from that. So Yep. But the Anabaptists are all along right beside them being persecuted by them. Everybody hated the Anabaptists. Nobody, mm-hmm. nobody liked the Anabaptists. <laughs> like, the Catholics hated on the Anabaptists, so they couldn't get any, any peace there. And then the, the reformers killed them too. So there was just, I mean, there was no they were the redheaded the stepchild of the Reformation. Movement. Of the Reformation. That's the best way to put it. They were the redheaded <laughs> stepchild of the Reformation. And <laughs> There will also be people will confuse them too, uh, and I want to talk about this next time. Um, there are different groups of Anabaptists that spring off of this, mm-hmm. and some of them are pretty bad heretics. Yeah, <laughs> others are are pretty good, but a lot of it has to do with authority or uh, where, yeah, where where the authority of God comes in. Is it only through Scripture, or is there the Holy Spirit and prophets. Does oh, that right. make sense? Yep. And so some of this is going to be pretty fun to go through and discuss. I can't wait, but cool. Anyways. So yeah, now we have a history of Zwingli. Yeah. The, it's a, uh, a good start. I like this. The, 
father of the Anabaptist, whether or not he wants to be. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably like, no, in the history books. He's like, <laughs> don't equate me with those terrible heretics. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Well, All right. You got some news? Hey, yeah, sure. Let's do that. And now the news. Are you ready? Yes. Sorry, I didn't hear the stingers. Look at my finger. Yeah, I see it. He doesn't. He can't hear the stingers. So that's a that's a broken broken part of our system here. So on Thursday, last Thursday, Toby McKeenan's 21 year old son Truett. Did you hear about that? Oh yes. He passed away at home, and I don't think we know exactly. It, what it was yet, do we? No, I haven't. I haven't seen um, a cause of death. Um, Nobody said a released. cause of death, uh, it except for that old. it was cardiac arrest. Right, and uh, he. Uh, this was right after he had done his first concert, mm-hmm. which is sad. Uh, Did you read Nikita, uh, Toby Mac's? Uh, yeah, Facebook posts. It was just heartbreaking, man. Sure. And uh, he posted, he posted like the last text message that he had with his son. Yeah. And it was basically him telling him how proud he was of him because yeah. of that concert. And yeah. He, and he he tells his dad that he loves him. And thanks, right. Thanks and he calls him, him a, makes him feel like a superhero. Yes. Ugh. Yeah. That was powerful. Awesome. Anyway. He said he had a true always had a soft spot for God, even though he wasn't a cookie cutter Christian. Um, he, McKeenan said, he gave me, uh, he said, give me a believer who fights to keep, keep believing, give me a broken man who recognizes his need for a savior every time. That's who true it was and how he should be remembered. So keep, uh, Toby Mac's family in your prayers. I can't imagine losing a son Mm. at 21 years old. That's just unbelievable. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, so um, there's a new study out that says that once young people leave the church, they're unlikely to return, which is different than it has been in the past. Um, so the new study found that among those born before 1980, it's true that they would tend to return to the church if, stopped, if they stopped going in their mid-20s or 30s, but something has shifted among the millennials born in 1980 and after. Many pastors are standing in the pulpit on Sunday morning and seeing fewer and fewer of their former youth group members returning to the pews as they move on from the late 20s and early 30s, um, which is kind of sad. Uh, he said things like free child care during the worship service should be the beginning of where we can look to, to fix this. Um, and so I, I'm looking at the downward trend, and it looks like, man, this is pretty bad um from from 26 to 35 there's a huge dip and it doesn't go back up mm. which is kind of crazy so i don't know you can you can check out the uh the full study at christianpost.com but we need to be taking care of our young adults man it's <laughs> yeah, crazy definitely so that was a barna study by dr berg and then i don't know if you've heard kanye's new album I have, but uh, not, not the whole thing. I've listened to some of it. Did you listen to Close on Sunday? Close on Sunday, you <laughs> my Chick Fil A. 
is the best <laughs> song of the entire album. You gotta go check it out. But Kanye has been like going hard on telling everybody yeah. that he's you know he surrendered to christ as lord and savior which is it's great pretty crazy because even two years ago he was talking about his album uh where he it was going to be called ye uh jesus christ yeah he was calling yeah. himself god right and yeah. now now i mean if you even listen to any of his interviews he's straight up just humble and he's saying you know i'm a new christian I don't know a lot of stuff, but I know that God has radically saved me and I want to live my life according to him. That's awesome. And uh, yeah, this new album is just, it's fire. So it's really exciting, but I'm, I'm really worried about him because I imagine he's going to catch a lot of flack as he continues his, his faithful walk. You know, I was, yeah, I, I watched, I'd go ahead. Well, I don't know how the, um, how the urban, uh, cause uh, honestly, it's not really my, uh, type of music, of music. <laughs> I, yeah. can, I can't relate to it all that well but um so i wonder how the fans in that genre would react to this because i know like a good example that it reminded me of was brian head welch who was oh yeah who was the lead guitarist of corn he did right. the same thing like went crazy christian like and started doing christian music and all this stuff Formed sure. a Christian band. Well, now he's back in Corn, but he's completely right. accepted by, um, by the Corn fans. You know, on the whole, sure. and so uh, I think it's great because he gets to like talk about Jesus in an area where people generally aren't <coughs> talking about Jesus. So, for sure. you know, and I'm hoping the same thing holds true for, sure. for Kanye. Man, I'm praying for him. I hope that that he can be. Um, you know, a light and darkness, and and you know, because right. we don't we don't need another Christian rapper. <laughs> and I mean, I mean that just because we, we tend to put people in these buckets, and we want them to be Christian artists, and they only produce Christian music for Christians. Right. When you know, if he can make a difference in the world, if he gets some non non believers listening, sure, that's even that's even greater. You know, right. Yeah, and you know, for for me, I uh, I look at him and I think his music is just so far, as far as an artist, it's just so far above, like putting a label on it. Right. It's just, I mean, he's he's an amazing artist. Right. Like, he he doesn't just rap. He's he's the producer. He does all he does all the music on it. And, yeah. And so, he's just powerful. But um, the the thing that I think of, you know, he uh. When he first became a Christian, the the person that led him to the Lord, he's basically like, "Well, I guess now I have to quit rapping." Like, <laughs> yeah. He thought that rap was of the devil, like, and and the guy's like, "No, dude, you you continue being an artist. You just do it in the name of Christ. It's mm -hmm. totally, you know, it's different." Yeah. And uh, and so it's just exciting. But his this album's really good. It's fire, in my opinion. But That's cool. Anyways. All right, let's see one more news article, and then I have some Christian history. Uh, a woman in France who is now in her 90s kept what she thought was a worthless piece of wall art hanging in her kitchen since the 1960s. It's a picture of Christ. When she was ready to, to move last year, she had an auctioneer come by and give her an estimate of how much her furniture would fetch. Uh, he looked at the picture featuring Jesus and suggested she bring it to an expert. Uh, 
it's a picture created by the artist Simbu, hmm. who painted it in the 13th century. Wow. It's called Christ Mocked. This week, it was bought for $26.6 million. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Is that not insane? Makes you want to go check out my old Jesus art. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those those uh, plastic uh, candles right. or whatever with Jesus painted on them. Yeah, it's <laughs> got to be worth something, man. <laughs> oh, man. It's hilarious. All right, and let's hop in the TARDIS. Oh, yes. <clears throat> do have the, the TARDIS going right now. Awesome. So, one of the most significant battles in the world in world history took place on this day, the 28th of October, 312 AD. Does that ring a bell? 312. Yes. Hmm. Lay it on me. After Constantine had a vision. Ah. <laughs> Constantine fought for the Roman Empire, and he had a vision of the cross, Ky- right? Cairo in the in the yeah, sky, the, yeah, exactly. And uh, and he he heard something say, "Under this sign, right, mm-hmm. uh, you will achieve victory or something." And anyway, so he fought and won, and then he made Christianity legal. So on this day, three twelve was the day that he saw the Cairo in the sky. Yeah. Oh, wow. Now you know your church history. That's right. Yeah, that's Happened sweet. today. That's awesomeness. So, yeah. um, so, you know, one thing that we haven't done on the show in a while. What's that? Trivia. You want to oh, do some trivia? We, we've, hey, let's, you know, if we're only going to do this, what, once we might every as well. month and a half. Let's so try, what if it goes it, a little long? So. <laughs> We're just giving you an extra, yeah. an extra taste. Hold on, let me pull up my phone so I can cheat. Uh, I mean, I'm missing it. <laughs> yeah. That was a joke. Yeah, well, yes, yeah, stop cheating. Okay, okay. so. Bring I, it on. Uh, oh, and you don't have any to read to me. Uh, is that what you're looking up? Because I got no. all the notes. <laughs> How are we going to do trivia with this? Uh, I can hold them up to the screen. And you can read it. Of course, I can see the back. That, of- I can't read that. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Hang on a second. It, I'm too bad it this isn't a video cast because <laughs> because sure. this is great. Can you read sure. any of that? All right, I've got it. Okay, I'll try not to look at the back here. I'll hold it with my other hand. So, okay, let's let's do um, Old Testament. Can you? That's the top one. Can you read it? I'll scoot in so. <laughs> Why did Lot's daughters want to? <laughs> I can't read it. Sacri- sacrifice their father? Seduce. Why? Why seduce. did? Why did Lot's daughters want to seduce their father? I'm, I'm playing the Jeopardy music. <laughs> Give everybody a chance to. I have I have questions. I'll ask you questions. Don't uh, worry about okay. that. Okay. Cancel it. Okay, I'm canceling it. 
Well, okay. In case you were wondering, and we're listening to the to the Jeopardy music, and want the answer to the question is because they felt like because their husbands were dead and they knew they wouldn't have any children, so they wanted to seduce their father to have children. And nice. the answer is to preserve their family line. You can find that in Genesis 19:32. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to ask you one now. What do you want? Uh, Old Testament, history and geography, prophecy, names. History and geography. History and geography. All right. This one's really not fair. I'll pick another one. <laughs> okay, here we go. Which king... Ordered the walls of Jerusalem rebuilt. I'll point at you when the music's done. Which king ordered the walls of Jerusalem rebuilt? Um, the king of Babylon, or actually, well, yeah. Um, but it wasn't. It wasn't Nezer. Um. Gosh. It wasn't King Darius, was it? Um maybe. That that one well actually no, Darius is Cyrus. because uh, they they have different names, you know. Uh but anyway, the the answer, the, the official answer from Nehemiah one, one through four yeah. is Artaxerxes. So you, okay, you, had, you had the kingdom correct. That was the, per- yeah. the Persian Empire. <laughs> Dang, man. That was hard. Yeah, that was. Con- <sighs> okay, so uh, you got one. You got a question for me there that you looked up somewhere online? Or yeah, you give just, me a sec. Or you just going to throw it at second. me? It makes, um, it, it makes it hard that you can't hear the Jeopardy music. It's not playing now, by the way. I'm just. Oh, it's not. Okay. So, <laughs> no, no I'll turn it on after you answer, ask the question. Give me a second. Let me find the perfect one. Oh, the perfect one. You're looking for like a hard one? Like yep. digging for gold? Yeah, here we go. Okay. Dang it. Where'd it go? I had it. And I just <laughs> lost it. You okay, here we we're, go. We're a little bit... Uh, uh, we're, it's a learning curve. Rusty. Okay. <laughs> so, God said this. A person sees what is, front of his, uh, what is in front of his eyes, but God sees the heart. Who does God say that to? So let's see. So God says this to somebody. Yep. And that's obviously not the good old King James. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not. A man looketh on the outward appearance, but God judgeth the heart or something like that. Okay. That so, um, King Jimmy, I am going to say to. Uh, I'm going to say. Solomon. Samuel. Uh, it was an S. You were close. <laughs> <laughs> that's wow. oh, that's good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. You want to do one more? Yeah, one more. Okay. Let's see. We still have. Okay. So here's the categories that I have. Old Testament. History and geography. 
prophecy, <laughs> names, letters, numbers, and sequences, <laughs> New Testament or words? The words pretty much require you to know your King James, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do New Testament. Okay, New Testament. To whom, now I'm going to play the Jeopardy music after the question, so. Sure. Okay. To whom was Jesus referring when he said, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven? What do you think? Was it a group of people? Uh, yeah. I'm going to say the Pharisees. <laughs> no! He's okay. He's talking to the Sadducees and he's referring to the oh. dead. When they were, they're asking him. Um, oh, because, yeah, because they want to stuff him about. About the resurrection. The resurrection. And so That's they're right. like, this, this guy, this girl was married to seven brothers. Which See, one is going to be her husband in the resurrection? Right. And I I confused it with the questions about divorce that that the Pharisees asked ah, yes. Jesus. Matthew 19, I think. is what it Yeah. Cool. Dang. All right. Well, that was fun. Yeah, that so was great. It, it was awesome doing a Theonauts. We're going to have to keep doing this. <laughs> Um, it was really great. I've, I've, I missed you. I've got uh, I've got the young Neil boys both knocking at the door saying they want to do some Theonauts episodes. So nice. So if we'll you if you can, if you can't make it a week or whatever, let me know and we'll squeeze them in and that way we can <laughs> keep some things going. Awesome. So we'll figure it out. All right, do you have your your notes? I do, man. All right, let's, let's do it. Let's get it out of here. The Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network using new media and social networking to go into all the world and proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more, go to gctnetwork.com, subscribe to the newsletter, and stay up to date with all of our shows. Visit our website at theonautspodcast.com for show notes and outlines. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite podcast catcher. Be sure to rate us because that helps us reach a larger audience. There are several ways you can contact us and leave us feedback. Send us email to theonauts at gctnetwork.com or call us on our voicemail line, which is 972-885-7270. Tweet to us on Twitter using at theonautical. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theonauts. And if you like us and want more theonauts, it won't really help. <laughs> but, <Yeah. laughs> but drop <laughs> us some money anyway. Drop us a buck sure. or two at patreon.com slash theonauts. Your patronage does help in our expenses like hosting fees and equipment costs. And don't forget to tune in again and explore the vast reaches of God's word with us. All right, Jeremiah, thanks for being here. Thank you, David. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972 972- Eight eight five seven two seven zero. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. This is your Great Commission. This is your Great Commission transmission at 
GCTNetwork.com.